Welcome back to Hell, where we talk about terrible people and terrible situations, both worthy of going to hell. I'm your host, Jordan. And I'm your other host, Lainey. And here we are. <laughs> Gotta bring the energy at 8.20 at night. So hello to our friends and fans. Hello. Okay. Fiends. Hello, fiends and hell. And if you have not turned off your um, car, because that's how I listen to podcasts. <laughs> if not, if you not have turned off your car yet or stopped playing this audio recording hi i'm laney i'm your host or one of them and, and i'm jordan that's jordan and we're excellent hostesses with the mostesses okay i'm imagining giant neon signs pointing at me yes. when i'm like and i'm jordan like from like genie and a lot of Dang. Okay. Well, like, well, that's how we that. <laughs> All right. We are not on the same page today, but that's but okay. That's okay. Oh. Uh, what? What? Well, no. We just we jinxed each other, kind oh, of. Oh. And we okay. think, oh, magical. Right. <laughs> I'm okay. so excited for wow. today's episode because I'm not telling the story. Okay. is. I am telling the story, but before we get into that, I want to just talk about a couple a couple things real quick, just because we got it. <laughs> okay. First, Women's March. I know we talked about it in the other episode, you know what I mean? And But we actually went. We made signs. It, yeah. Jordan made some cute. No. Cute signs. No. no. They were super she's, cute. Can you guys really sense her sarcasm? Cute. They were adorable <laughs> cute signs. We may post them on our Instagram so you can see how super cute they were. <laughs> Uh, it was it was really fun. Lainey has gone to more protests than I have. I've been to and one other protest. Well, you the, you handled it like I a champ. Literally okay, I've only been to that. The only other protest was the George Floyd protest. Okay, you but you handled yourself. You were like, all right, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. I was like, all right, let's go. So uh, that's we marched. Mental illness, Jordan. It's because I have anxiety. <laughs> Don't make fun of me. But uh, no, uh, we went with her uh, husband. It was really fun. So the three of us are marching. There were people recording mm -hmm. like all there over like the place. up in the sky. And oh, yes. Uh, there are people that would start chants. I mean, it was it was really cool. Mm -hmm. And then just feeling the like the vibe of everybody and just the support and all the women and men that were even there. And we saw some really excellent like speakers, a couple of people from uh, a couple of women from uh, Top Chef. I think that's yeah. who was there. We had the mayor. We had people from D.C. It was, I think, just an all around awesome experience. And we were like front row row. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. We were like up at the front. And I was very pleased to hear like all the love and support like the mm -hmm. mayor was giving. Mm -hmm. He brought out the previous mayor. Uh, you know, just the 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 people that did talk, they had like such impactful stories, and it was awesome. It was mm -hmm. it was an amazing experience. And yeah. then um, I guess we can post photos to our Instagram of some of the protest photos. I think that'd yeah, be yeah, it was it was great. And I mean, we and it ended kind of with a storm, which <laughs> literally. Was, 
<laughs> like it started sprinkling and just right as it it, it started to end, uh, it, you know, Houston gets hit with all this rain. So we we are like, was, oh. OK, so it was storming, like literally storming. And as like the speaker, I can't remember which speaker was speaking, but she was like, I know it's like raining and you guys are like troopers basically being here. But just see this as like the tears of the women who never got their voice or, you know, and I was just like, man, like, ouch, you know, like it was it was like, you're right. You know what I mean? Like, that's why we're here. That's why we're here is to be like, hey, like we are here. We have a flipping voice, you know, strong and powerful and intelligent and so capable. And we're so much more than incubators. But yes. anyway, it was I'm great. Glad. Thank you. Thank you for going with me. I appreciate you. It was so much fun. And then afterwards, when I was soaking wet, I just stayed in my car until I warmed <laughs> up again. <laughs> we literally were drenched, like yeah. drenched. It was it like, was just, like we had stepped in a pool yes. and just got out. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. My parents were like, wow, you are very wet. And I'm like, uh-huh. I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go dry off now. Right. <laughs> Bye. Um, but then the other thing I wanted to talk about, the Gabby Petito case. Oh, my gosh. Yes. They found Brian. Yeah. So I don't I don't necessarily know when this episode will be airing. But um, today is October 21st when we're recording this. And yesterday they found their, their remains of speculation. But today it was actually confirmed that it was Brian Laundrie. I might end up doing this case like in Do the it. near future now that we kind of I'm going to wait until everything's out of close so I can mm-hmm. like kind of just have like a full picture because true crime is like my thing, you know? We kinda, yeah. And then obviously the story that we're going to talk about is also true crime, but that's my my thing. And so following the story, I follow the Reddits and everything, all the speculation. And so I don't know. I don't know what happened. I kept saying that homie killed himself. He's a coward, you know, yeah. from day one. but. Coward. We coward had talked about ways. it. Yeah, coward works both ways. He could have been too cowardly to kill himself and, or coward because he doesn't want to go to jail. Possibly he killed himself when they got really close to him and they feel like they were kind of, you know, the walls yeah. were coming in on him and whatnot. Um, I don't know. I'm really interested to see how long he has been dead and what remains were found. If it was like a toe or like a finger, I'm going to be like, homie's still alive. Like his, his parents planted oh, no. that. Like he... It was by dental records. Um, oh, was it? I... It was by dental records. Okay, okay. Yeah. I the FBI the released a statement it. and they were like, Dang. yeah, we've confirmed that So if found- it was dental records, then that means that his body must have been really like not identifiable. That's what I think. Especially yeah. if he was in the marshes and the water and everything. And then animals and, and whatnot. That makes sense. But. Yeah, and uh, from what I've read, also uh, the area it was found was previously covered in yeah, water. Yeah, and it was like up to like chest level or something mm-hmm. when they tried to go um, search previously. But I don't want to go into a soapbox. On yeah, this yeah, yeah. We're not we talking about just, this all day. It's just this is just relevant, and so I'm. Oh man, I'm mad. I'm mad. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm mad that he. It's his freaking remains you know like ugh, i wanted him and now he doesn't get to like change his um he doesn't get to create his own narrative too which is like the whole thing it's like he could have maybe i mean i don't know how you accidentally strangle someone i don't know but he could have had like his his side of the story to see like maybe like what happened or give us more insight or i don't know i don't know yeah yeah now his narrative is abusive 
narcissist. Yeah, like you killed murderer. your girlfriend and Which you went home. Is, that's what he's going to be in general, even if he does have his own narrative. But I, I want to hear him. You know what I mean? I want to yeah. just, ugh, uh. but we won't. But anyway, welcome, welcome to hell. <laughs> <laughs> we we have caught you up with some current terrible tragedies. Yeah. And we're only eight minutes and thirty four seconds in, so I call that a win. Um, but today. <sighs> We're going to talk about the man who killed Halloween. Oh, such a good one. Ouch. Yeah. So my sources for this episode are Wikipedia. Uh, again, donate to Wikipedia. They are asking mm-hmm. for donations. So Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Pulsar.travel, Medium.com, and Statesman.com. So those are my resources for this episode. Um, so Very obviously, <laughs> thank you. Um so it's so hard to like begin with this because I don't know about you, but my mom was so strict growing up. It was like, I can't trick or treat because there's going to be staples in my candy or there's going to be this in my candy and there's going to be razor blades in my Snickers bar. Like I'm going to open a freaking Snickers bar and not realize that there's a razor blade in there. Like it makes no sense, you know? Yeah. And so my mom would make me go to like, to, like the mall and trick or treat or oh. we'd go to like Halloween like events <laughs> at the school or something. It was so lame. Oh, lame. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I've never been trick or treating. My mom's like, that's a lie. You have been trick or treating. I'm like, no, legit. Like, I don't fight this issue with her, but I'm like, no, I haven't. Going to my next door neighbor's house and ringing their doorbell and them giving me a candy bar like to two houses. That's not trick or treating. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, it's a couple so, streets. It's <laughs> yeah, it, it's just really sad and depressing. And I remember, and this is really sad too. But I was supposed to go trick or treating when I was three years old when I lived in North Carolina, and I guess I threw a timber tantrum. And so my mom said I couldn't go trick or treating. And so I'm dressed as the Wicked Witch of the West in my green paint, and I'm just like crying in like a photo because my mom <laughs> said I couldn't go trick or treating because I was being a brat, which I probably was. But still, it's Halloween. Give give the girl. The hollow pumpkin to go trick-or-treating, okay? Yes. But so my mom lived in fear basically because she was afraid that my candy was going to be poisoned and she doesn't trust strangers, which rightfully so. I I hear you. But also, again, give the girl her trick-or-treating and now I'm a deprived child and I have a trauma response. But (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm fine. I turned out fine. Now I'm an adult and I can buy all the candy I want. But she's like, yes, I win. (laughs) Clearly, I'm not upset about this. This is not affect. This has not affected me in any way, shape or form in my adulthood. I'm just I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. I am cool. (laughs) So I don't know if my mom knows the story of the man who killed Halloween or if it was just kind of I kind of just become folklore, you know? Yeah. It's just like, oh, be careful. There will That's be true. Yeah. In your it's like, candy. oh, strangers are going to put things yeah. in them and hurt you. Absolutely. And it could be Absolutely. Like a needle, razor blade or poison. Oh. And it's so crazy, too, because it's like I grew up in Las Vegas. So different with this story. This is a Houston story. I went trick or treating in Houston. So is the lore, di- yeah, right. But is the lore different because this this is has hit so close to home in this community yeah. at this time in the seventies. Um, but yeah, so this whole story is basically started. I mean, parents are already kind of skeptical about trick or treating, taking candies from strangers. Like obviously, that's like a red flag within itself. But yeah. after this situation that I'm about to kind of go into, it really changed the face of Halloween. 
So on the night of Halloween um, in 1974, little Timothy O'Brien begged his parents to allow him to have a piece of candy he worked so hard for that night, running around the neighborhood in the rain, dressed as a character from the Planet of the Apes. Uh, oh. Yeah, there's like little pictures of it, and they're actually kind of terrifying because it's also 1974 oh. and the Halloween costumes were different back then. And so <laughs> they're like kind of terrifying okay. um but still <laughs> precious you know Aww. like still i'm like i love like seeing the little kids in their little halloween costumes but so finally his parents were like okay sure whatever and um they opened one of the candies that he got which was a pixie stick so they opened it for him and they handed it to the eight-year-old so as the sugary contents touched the lips of the young child, Timothy noticed the candy dust tasted odd and complained to his parents that it tasted, quote unquote, weird, mm. to which she was just told to drink some Kool-Aid to wash the taste away. Like, OK, like it tasted weird. Maybe he never had a pixie stick before. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it tasted weird to him. I don't know. Like they're just like, whatever, just just drink some Kool-Aid to get the taste yeah, out of your mouth. Can, kids can like eat something and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then eat it and they'll be like. This, this wasn't weird. what I expected. <laughs> yeah, and and so you want to take them serious at the same time. You're just like, oh my goodness. You're yeah, just so being just a kid. that's the typical parent response is, oh, yeah. just, just take a drink and just wash the taste away. Yeah. So Timothy drank the Kool Aid in hopes the bitter taste would indeed wash away, like his parents had st- mm-hmm. had said. Um, however, the bitterness didn't go away, and almost immediately Timothy began to complain of a stomach ache and he ran to the bathroom and he threw up and began to convulse. (sighs) So the O'Briens frantically called an ambulance because obviously their kids basically having a seizure in front of them after eating candy. And so um, they cited that someone must have put the poison in the pixie stick because that's all that he had to to eat. Right. And it kind of happened so instantly. So Timothy's father held him in his arms as his body went limp the ambulance finally arrived to the house, but unfortunately, it was too late for little Timothy, and he passed away en route to the hospital less than an hour after eating the poison candy. And he again, he was just eight years old. Uh-oh. That's yeah. so quick, like just an hour. Yeah. Oh, you can't even like- can't even react. But this so clearly, this event changed the way the public viewed Halloween forever, as the cause of the situation was said to be from uh, poison candy obtained from a night of trick or treating. So again, like I said, this is a Houston story. So residents of the Houston area they were frantic, thinking their child obviously could be next. Like he got this candy. Like who who's next? Right? Yeah. Like oh my gosh, where were you trick or treating? What did he have, you know? So now everyone's freaking out as the news just kind of begins to circulate of, like, what happened. Because this is a news story, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, their trust in the community is now gone. Oh, tarnished. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can't trust your neighbor because they trick-or-treated in, like, only two streets in their neighborhood. So, like, oh, literally, you cannot trust your neighbor because the neighbor is the person who did this to them in their eyes. Um. So the police knew that there had to obviously have been, if the story checks out, like, you're just going to tell me that there's just one pixie stick full of poison? Nah, like, there's multiple pixie sticks or other candies that's full of poison. Like, this is not just, like, a one-and-done crime. So um, the police knew that there had to be other pieces out there about in the community, and the parents were already coming into the station and just, like, waves to check to see if the candy that they had was also deadly. So, And the police, like, made it, like, pretty. They were like, hey, bring your candy in, and we'll check it for you. Rather be safe than sorry. And parents did exactly that. Like, they went to the police station. Just throw away the candy, in my opinion. Yeah. But, okay, whatever. At least you're being safe and doing your due diligence. 
So the police, they turned to um, Timothy's dad, who is uh, a man named Ronald Clark O'Brien, as he was the parent on duty and he was the one who actually took the kids trick-or-treating. So Mm. O'Brien is described as a big guy who talks almost feminine-like. And he didn't really act sad. However, he was not currently a person of interest because, like, why would he be? You know, he just lost his son. But he wasn't, like, like bawling or crying. So, But it was still interesting, you know, that he wasn't acting kind of upset by the whole situation. But you the, never know how you're going to respond. But at the exactly, same time, exactly. it's like everyone, your son has just died within yes, an hour. Absolutely. Yeah. So everyone grieves differently. And I'm sure the obviously as a police officer, you've probably have seen it all. So it's probably like, okay, maybe he's on Valium or a medication, a sedative, you know, or a sedative to kind of help with his emotions. Because it's that's why when people are on the news, it's like, oh, like, I can't believe they're not crying that they're they're giving this speech or about, like, bringing your daughter home or a missing mm-hmm. person alert. You know what I mean? Whatever it is. It's like, no, they're probably heavily sedated. You know? Yeah. Like, they – you how are you supposed to go through all those emotions? Like, no, sometimes you need medication to help you. So they probably thought, like, oh, maybe he's just grieving or maybe he's in denial or whatever yeah. it may be. Plus it's a camera on, in your face and then, like – Well, yeah, you know, police interrogating you and everything. So it's like maybe – I don't know. So yeah, kind of noted, but also not like too, too like out there. But Mm -hmm. he ends up relaying um, his story of the night as follows. So on Halloween of 1974, um, Ronald Clark O'Brien, he's 30 years old, which is also really crazy to me because like I'm almost 30. And so when I hear this like story, I'm like, oh, like that's all like he's an adult. He's 30 years old. But now I'm like, oh, my God, he's only 30. In the, you know? Yeah. Anyway. So he's and you 30. have an eight-year-old kid? Like, what? I know, So much right? responsibilities. I mean, I guess my mom was 30 and had an eight-year-old kid, too. But anyway. But right responsibilities. Like, I can't yeah. even take care of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so he's 30 years old, and he um, is still dressed in his white optician's lab coat he wore at work that day. Um, so I guess he went as a optician <laughs> i don't okay. know i, I mean know. easy costume so a right easy costume just come on from work like i already got a coat on like let's rock and roll baby but he took um his neighbor's kids and his own two children um his, he has a son and he has a daughter so timothy obviously we know about timothy and then mm-hmm. he has a daughter named elizabeth he took them trick-or-treating along with the neighbor's kids um in a neighborhood in pasadena texas which was about 14 minutes from where they lived which was in deer park texas so oh I, yeah exactly yeah so they're, you're a houstonian so like you yeah they're in that's the deer a park deer area. park yeah oh, snap okay wow yeah wow that's not that far from here actually no so uh O'Brien basically says that the him and the group of kids, they reached a home where the homeowner failed to answer the door, leaving the children impatient. And they're just like, whatever, like we have other houses to get to, like, bye. It's like raining. They want to get their candy and get out of there. Right. So yeah. they just like leave. So Ronald O'Brien, he stays behind the house. That's not answering. So I guess he's just like sitting there pounding on the door, which I don't know, like, don't, if they don't answer within the first, like, minute or two. That's not a dumb. Go, go to a different house. Like, maybe they're not home. Maybe they don't celebrate Halloween. Like, I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so he allowed the kids to run along, and then he was like, oh, I'll catch up with you guys in a second. But 
So after a while, he meets up with the kids again, and he's like yelling, he's smiling, and I, oh my god, in my notes I put, and smiling and sharding. That <laughs> instead of shouting, I wrote sharding. Oh my, wow. no, he's not doing that. Wow, that would be definitely of concern. But he's yelling and smiling, and the, he was like, you guys are in luck, because a rich man back at the dark house was giving away special treats to trick-or-treaters. And he pulled out five 21-inch pixie sticks to give to the kids. Weird. Yeah, so he's just like, 21-inch pixie sticks? Like, those are big pixie sticks. Like, Yeah. That, that's just large. Okay, whatever. So O'Brien stated that the house ended up finally opening their doors. And after um, after like one last try, he says, and he gave him the pixie sticks for the group. So O'Brien dispersed the candy and gave the neighbors two children each a pixie stick. And then he gave one to each of his children, uh, Timothy and Elizabeth. And so that's only four kids and there's five pixie sticks. So that fifth pixie stick was given to a 10-year-old boy who Ronald um, actually recognized from his church where Ronald served as a deacon and actually sang in the choir. So he's like, oh, you neighbor kid that I know and have a familiar face, here's this pixie stick. You're in luck, buddy boy. So, um, obviously this becomes like a huge case, you know, like there's a murder, a kid, now there's like mystery pixie sticks. We got to track those pixie sticks down. Find them. And so to make kind of things just, I don't want to say worse because he did a good job on it, but, um, so there's a guy, his name is Bill Lanier, Lanier. Uh, he actually is a rookie detective for the Pasadena, uh, Pasadena. Um, he's a rookie detective for the Pasadena police department, Um, And he was only a detective for like less than a year. And this was his first murder investigation. They gave him this case. And so he knew he had to act quick, you know, so there's a lot of pressure on this guy. And so now the police like have like a record like, okay, these other children have the pixie sticks, right? Like, Mm -hmm. because obviously O'Brien like knew who he handed out the pixie sticks to. So he's like, okay, cool. So, um, they knew who the kids were, and so they were trying to act as quickly as t- as possible as the autopsy actually ended up confirming that the pixie stick was the cause of the death because ah. the candy was laced with a fatal dose of cyanide potassium. That's why it tasted so bitter, because there was cyanide in it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So... Now it's like time is of the essence, my friend. So four of the five pixie sticks were recovered from the other children and none of the other children had fortunately consumed the pixie sticks. Like, thank God. Um, Oh, my goodness. But that fifth pixie stick was unable to be located. So parents of... um, Parents of one of the children in Timothy's trick-or-treating group became... Or yeah, parent they be, the parents became like like frantic because they could not like they knew that they had the pixie stick like somewhere in their house, but, but they, they could know. not find the pixie stick. Yeah, like so they were like once they found out that the pixie stick was confirmed, like they were like find shoot, the pixie shoot, stick, shoot shoot, shoot 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 needle in a haystack. We need to find this pixie stick. Yeah, they could not locate it, and so the parents are like racing into the room of um their little boy. And they find the little boy laying in bed with the pixie stick. (gasps) And so as the parents' worst fears were beginning to come into light, they saw that the pixie stick was in the hands of their son. But after closer examination, the parents saw that the pixie stick wasn't open and it was still stapled shut, allowing the little boy's parents to be really thankful that the little boy wasn't strong enough to pry it open and just ended up 
falling asleep and giving up. So it's like, oh, oh my God. And I, I bet in that moment, he's so frustrated. He's like, I really want this pixie stick, you know? And it feels like such like a bum, like bummed out and he's sad like, and upset and just frustrated. And, but man, like, like that, that saved his life, you know? Oh, I just imagine sweet little him just passed out with a little pixie stick I in know, his hand. I know. And his mom, like, oh my gosh. And they, like, imagine, ima- just, oh my gosh. Like, I would be. I, I don't even have any words just kind of how relieved you would feel but like devastated I would just cry I think I honestly also like I, if I was a parent uh, and my child was in this guy's like trick-or-treating group and had one of the pixie sticks I'm surprised people aren't like yo dad like where the where's the house that you got these from like you like what's up like you had my child and yeah yeah seriously i'd be like i'd be so mad at ronald o'brien you know I'd yeah like, you're just like t- uh, you you're saying any man like i don't know it'd be i guess but that's the whole point of trick-or-treating so i guess it's kind of like perfect. yeah i don't know um so investigators and detective Lanier obtained all five pixie sticks woohoo so yay um and they found that the top two inches of each pixie stick had been emptied and refilled with cyanide powder and then was resealed with a staple. The candy consumed by Tiffany contained enough cyanide to kill two adults, while the other four contained dosages that could kill up to three or four adults. So even then, Timothy had the lower yeah, I don't know if that was intentional or not. I don't. Yeah, it, it couldn't kinda, have been. Yeah, I don't think. I don't. Whoever did this obviously wasn't a scientist, you know. So yeah. I and pixie sticks all look the same, so it'd be really hard to kind of really differentiate which pixie stick was going where. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So the police returned to Ronald O'Brien to get more information from him, just kind of asking, like, "Hey, like." Which house did you get these pixie sticks yeah. from? Right? Like you you got these pixie sticks. So now you like whoever gave you these pixie sticks freaking killed your son, you know, and so attempted murder on four other children and who God knows who what else. So take us to that house. Well, Ronald was like, uh, I can't remember which house it was, thus leading the police to become very suspicious of this response. Like, yeah. So you see, previously, O'Brien told the police that he only took the kids down two streets in the neighborhood as it was raining that night. So how can you forget which house it was? Also, if someone is you're banging on a door like repeatedly, your behavior, you, you don't remember what house that was. Yeah. Right. Like, this is an out weird, of an ordinary. Yeah. Anything weird, you clock it. Absolutely. And so he would have clocked like, oh, this is this is weird. Like. It's this so, house, like it's liar, this liar, guy. pants for hire. Yeah, um, and it did he even try to say like what the guy looked like? Okay, who, so here we go. Wow, no. <laughs> so suspicions continue to rise. Obviously, when the police investigated each home on both of the streets, and none of them stated that they had given out pixie sticks, which pixie sticks aren't necessarily a common candy. Yeah, you know, it's like not. especially a twenty-one inch pixie stick. Like usually, they're, they're like, like huge. They're like the little. You need like a little mini, like Snickers bar or a toothbrush. I'll even take an apple, but a twenty-one. Yeah. That's a that's an out of an ordinary candy for Halloween. A pixie stick. So after again, the police walked the street up to three or four times. They came across the house. Yeah, the one that he said. O'Brien's like, yes, that that's the house, and so. 
He said that he stated when he went back to the house after the group left. So when the kids like went away and then the, the owner opened the door and he said the owner did not even turn the lights on, but cracked the door open and handed him five pixie sticks. He claimed to have only seen the man's arm, which he described as, quote unquote, hairy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's it. Like, OK, but also a so there's multiple problems with the story is like a why are you knocking on doors when their lights are out? Mm-hmm. Okay, like that—that's a universal sign of we're not participating in trick or treating. Yes, don't be freaking rude. Hit you with my purse like the Kardashians. Um, yeah, so don't be rude. That's, that's makes one. no sense. Makes no sense. That's the first little check mark. Okay, B, you're gonna tell me that some man's arm just came from the door and it was a hairy man's arm at that and just had five pixie sticks and then was just like, didn't say anything. Why are you taking candy from that person? That guy's a creep. Yeah, and and here's another thing. He has the exact amount plus like maybe one more for a group, you know, like. Yeah, because he's not like, saying he had a conversation with this person. He's not saying he just said that the man opened the door, was like, here's your pixie. No, no, not even say that. He just was like, hairy arm. I would, I'd be running. That's terrifying. That's I'd terrifying. Like, like, who lives at this house? Uncle Fester? I don't know. Oh, my God. Monsters. Um, so they find the house, but then later the police go back after they like, take Ronald home, I guess. But they go back to the home. Ronald stated was the culprit. And they actually met the homeowner. And it was a person named Courtney Melvin. Oh. Um, so Courtney Melvin, just a little background on them. But they were an air traffic controller at uh, William P. Hobby Airport. And they did not return from work until 11 p.m. on Halloween night. And this was confirmed by nearly 200 people that Melvin w- <laughs> that Melvin worked with. Like, he was at work that night. People saw him. Mm-hmm. So he had an airtight alibi. It was not Melvin. So homie chose the wrong house. So this led the police to now finally be suspicious like fully suspicious like that have a reason you know now they're like okay for sure wasn't this so mm-hmm. now they're very suspicious of ronald o'brien but why would ronald o'brien want to kill his own son and possibly yeah. other children in their neighborhood right like that's awful that makes no sense it, that's so random, random right just so random <laughs> well as their investigation furthered, the police learned that O'Brien was over $100,000 in debt. Oh, yikes. Oh, and get this, and get this, $100,000 in today's money, that's $520,000 in debt. Mm-hmm, half oh, a million yeah. dollars in debt. And what put did he that, do? I don't know, I don't know. Just ga- oh, gamble. Gosh. I don't know. Squid games. I don't know. <laughs> what is that in one? I don't know. But and, and put all of that on top of him having a history of being unable to hold down a job. OK, mm. so homie's not a good worker. Homie's not good with his monies. You know, just just a little example. He had 21 jobs in the past 10 years preceding the crime. 21 jobs. Oh, wow. From he he was, hold from the time it. he was 20 
from the time he was 30, he's had 21 jobs. I know I've had a lot of jobs, right? I mean, but I've went to college. I've like literally like I'm going on vacation yeah, or going back home in Vegas because to visit my mom. So I was just like, I don't need this retail job right now. And I would quit and you know what I mean? And whatnot. Mm-hmm. But 21 jobs, that's a lot of jobs. Yeah, that's a lot of jobs. that is. And, and it's, it's so many jobs that you like he didn't hold them for like longer than if a year. It's like, like double the that's amount. A, that's it's, a job, a new job every six months. Yes, that's a, that is a lot. And like that's the stuff about him. Like that's oh i see motive oh no (laughs) the light the light so but he was working remember like i said he was wearing his little he was wearing his little like white coat um so his current job he was working at texas state optical um but (laughs) well he was actually currently being um, suspected of theft at his current job, and he was very close to being fired. On top of his car was about being repossessed, he had a defaulted on several bank loans, and he was having the family home being foreclosed on. So, homie needs money now. Yeah, it reminds me of like that Mad TV. I don't know if you ever watched Mad TV with Stuart, and he's like. My goldfish died. My cat ate my goldfish and choked on it and died. And my dog died. And my grandpa died. And then and my dad died. You know, it was just kind of like this, like, oh, my no. God, like what else? Like, what else is wrong with you? <laughs> the episode is the Valentine's Day of Mad TV. Stuart, it's mwah, mwah. <laughs> Stuart from Mad TV was my life. It was they were so funny. Like, I could quote Stuart all day. It's so funny. That's your homework, Jordan. Watch <laughs> go <Stuart>. watch it. <laughs> The Valentine's Day episode. It's so funny. Um, So upon further investigation, so now that we know that he has all this debt, we know all these things are happening to him. So, okay. So they're like, all right, we need to continue this investigation. But why, again, why does the kid need to die, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yes, we're on all this debt, but why does the kid need to die? So where where's the link? You're going to say that you're just killing your kid because you don't want another mouth to feed? No, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right? So... Upon the further investigation, the daughter is still alive, right? Yes, the daughter is still alive. Um, So, upon further investigation, they also discovered that Ronald O'Brien had taken out ten thousand dollars in insurance policies on both of his children. That's fifty-two thousand dollars in today's money. Okay, so he'd taken out life insurance policies for fifty-two thousand dollars, and just. One month before, one month before, just one month before Timothy's poisoning, he took out an additional $20,000 policy on both children, despite the objections of the insurance agency, okay? And to make matters even worse, only days before Timothy's death, days, just mere days, hours, seconds, he took out an additional $20,000 on both children. Why are the entrance agencies allowing this to happen? Yeah, this I'm surprised somebody sketchy. wasn't like, red flag, red flag. This guy keeps like increasing his insurance on his kids. This is code red. We think yes, a murder may this happen. This is weird. Like, why? 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 Yeah. Why do you need that much money? Why do you need $52,000 on your kids? Like, okay, do you, you think want a life insurance happen? policy? It, exactly. Do you think something's going to happen? Do they have a terminal illness? Okay, I understand. Do you want a life insurance policy to just cover funeral costs? Okay, that's fair. That's fair, right? But, but fifty-two thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. fifty-two thousand dollars. 
$52,000. Okay, times, cause okay, so that's just, so double that 100, that's like, I don't know, $400,000. I'm probably totally wrong, but $400,000 Oh, his debt would have been solved. Yeah, absolutely. So <sighs> big time motive, big time red flag. Why do you yeah. need $400,000 for your child who passed away? That's disgusting. Anyway. Yeah. So, but where's the wife, right? Yeah, I was going to say, what's now, the wife Now, where's thinking? the wife? Because is she on this now? Obviously, she's going to be suspected too because does she know about all this debt? We don't know. Well, she just basically maintained that she didn't know about the life insurance policies. Okay, whatever. Um, only the day after, okay? The day after, November 1st, 1974. The, the day after, at 9 a.m. in the morning, okay? Timothy mm-hmm. has not been dead for like, 24 hours barely 24 hours 9 a.m is like the 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 opening like you know that's a shop is open now he called the insurance company to inquire about collecting on the policies he had taken out on timothy it was 9 a.m on the dot he said they're open now people are in the office let me call and see how i can cash in Oh my gosh, if bruh. that's bruh, insurance agents, okay, we need you guys to put like a red flag policy on these things. Right? Okay. So the police then discovered that Ronald had visited a chemical supply store in Houston to buy cyanide shortly before Halloween. However, 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 he did not buy any cyanide when he learned the smallest amount available to purchase was five pounds he's like that's too much cyanide i don't need five pounds of cyanide (laughs) so five pounds too much of cyanide okay the police officially began to suspect ronald o'brien for the death of his son like now it's like official like okay all good all arrows are pointing to this man so Um, shiny arrows are now pointing at him on him big red flag he is a walking red flag um the police theorized that he had laced the pixie sticks with poison to kill his children to collect the life insurance policies. Duh. The police suspected he gave the other children the candy as well in an effort to cover up his crime. Duh. Ugh. But luckily, the other children never ate the candy, and O'Brien maintained his innocence when repeatedly questioned. Yee. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I didn't do it. Come on. Like, it's come like, on. dude, dude. And it's Just like, nope, didn't do it. it. Didn't okay. do it. It's like... Oh, so the fact that your children's life insurance covers all your debt, that's just What a coinkadink. Um, it's like, yeah, man. Yeah, that's really weird. Timothy really wanted me to be debt-free. <laughs> like, I don't we, know. We had like, that conversation like the day before. Yeah. So November 5th, 1974, the police go and they arrest Ronald O'Brien for the murder of his son. Good. Yes. Justice. He was indicated on one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder, obviously. Yeah. Um, So O'Brien entered a plea of not guilty to all five counts. He said, no, wasn't me. I don't know (laughs) what you're talking about. I didn't take the kids. It's it's my twin brother. I never knew her. No idea. Got the wrong guy. So the police never discovered, actually, I think this is an interesting fact, but they actually never discovered when or where O'Brien actually bought the poison. But I like to think that he went back to the cyanide store or wherever it was and got like a little like vial and just like opened one of the five pound bags and just like plopped it. And just like I can stole, see that too. Stole just be a like, little bit of cyanide. I don't need five pounds. I just need like an ounce. <laughs> an ounce I- will do the job. 
I just wonder if the store owner, when he originally asked, like, just wanted to know, like, what are you going to do with the cyanide? And, like, what was well, his reasoning for going? Rats. Like, rats. It's always rats. rats. Oh. It's always rats. Oh, yeah. But on it's May, a- yeah. But on May 5th, 1975, the a trial officially ban- began in Houston. And so during this trial, a chemist who was acquainted with O'Brien, they I don't know how he knows a chemist, but he testified that in the summer of 1973, he contacted him asking about how much, how much, hey, friend, hey, friend, I haven't talked to you in a minute. How much cyanide would be a fatal dose? Not for a rat, not for a rat, for for an eight-year-old child. Oh, my gosh. A chemical supply salesman also testified that O'Brien had asked him how to purchase cyanide. <laughs> He's not doing too hot. Like, this guy's dumb. I can uh, see how he may have run into a chemist in Deer Park because I that's just, where a, a lot of the plants are. Yeah. You like, know, like it's going to happen. But, like, that, I would be like, why? Why are you asking why? me how read much? The back, read the back of the box if you're trying to kill yeah. some rats. I'm not going to think you're going to be for a human being. That's awful. Um, like, that's weird. But then his friends and coworkers, they also testified that in the months before Timothy's death, he showed an unusual interest in cyanide and spoke of how much it would take to kill a person. So now he's using this information about how much it would take to kill someone. He's like, I want to know my party party fact. Or, you know, like, oh. I don't know. <laughs> I know how much it would take to kill someone with cyanide. And I'd be like, is that your potluck dish that you brought over there? I will is not your be party eating trick? that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. No, thank you. You can take your powdered beignets away from me. Thanks. Um, so Ronald O'Brien's sister-in-law and brother-in-law, they also testified that on the day of Timothy's funeral, he spoke of using the money from the life insurance policy to go on a long vacation. He said, screw my wife and my daughter who's still alive after this traumatic event. I'm going to go on a vacation. Who does I that? I need to recover. I, I need to I recover. Sh- I need to recover. Not my family. Not my wife. Not my daughter. Me. I do. Oh, so, my God. Yeah. So again, Brian O'Brien maintained his innocence. His defense mainly drew upon the old urban legends of the bad people who hand out Halloween candy laced with poison or even candy apples with razor blades inserted. And these stories always persisted despite the fact that there were actually no documented uh, documented instances of strangers poisoning Halloween candy. So the case got national attention, obviously, and the press dubbed O'Brien the Candyman. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but well. not the candy man where you say it three times and then a guy with a hook for a hand kills you and bees come out of his yeah, mouth. No, so different candy man, different candy man. Mm-hmm. I think I like that candy man better than this one, if I'm yeah. being completely honest. So June 3rd of 1975, the jury only took 46 minutes to find Ronald Clark O'Brien guilty on one count of capital murder and four nice. counts of attempted murder. Nice. Insert applause. Cheers. I like how it took less than an hour. And they say, man, you know, there's just one person that's trying to play devil's advocate. And they're like, shut the hell up, Joe. No one cares about your opinion. You uneducated swine. But they only took 71 minutes to sentence him to death. They're like, child murderer. Goodbye. Oh, my gosh. They were like, one, you're guilty. Nothing. Two. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. You, you kill children. So, yeah. Bye. And what's even better is that shortly after he was convicted, his wife filed for divorce. 
She later remarried and her new husband adopted her daughter, Elizabeth, which is so, I love that. I love that. Yay. I love that happy ending for her. Yeah. Um, But O'Brien was confined to the Huntsville unit in Huntsville, Texas. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) go, go Bearcats. (laughs) (laughs) Sam Houston University. His fellow inmates despised him for killing a child and he was said to be absolutely friendless, which, yeah, if you're a child murderer, those, those Prisoners, they don't really have a moral code, some of them. Some of them don't really abide by a code of ethics. But you're a child killer? Goodbye. Yeah, you know, you're not going to have a fun time there because that's disgusting. The inmates even reportedly petitioned to hold an organized demonstration on O'Brien's execution date to express their hatred. (laughs) They're like, can we please show this guy even more how much we hate him? So his original execution date was August 8th. Uh, 1980. However, his attorney successfully petitioned for a stay of execution, um, which basically just meant they suspended his execution date. The second date was set for May 25th of 1982, and then that was also postponed. When someone's on death row, it really takes forever and a day to actually sentence them to death. Mm -hmm. Um, But Judge Michael McSpadden uh, scheduled a third execution date of October 31st, 1982, (gasps) the eighth year anniversary of his son's death, and even offered to personally drive O'Brien to the death chamber. This was supposed to be the first time Texas would execute an inmate by lethal injection. However, it was delayed yet again to give him a chance at an appeal. So there is a fourth execution date, which was set for March 31st, 1984, um, after an attempt of O'Brien's lawyers saying the lethal injection was a quote-unquote cruel and unusual punishment, and the judge was like, goodbye, no, I'm rejecting that. I think um, being poisoned to death by a pixie stick uh, is more of a cruel and unusual punishment, in my opinion. Yeah, I can see why the judge is like, yeah, that doesn't apply. my to thoughts, your person. Yeah, my thoughts on the death penalty have kind of changed a little bit. I think the death penalty puts way more innocent people in, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then, of course, like, people of color get put to death more than, like, white people do. And so it's just, like, a whole bad thing. So I think the way to solve that would just be to not have death row at all. But yeah, so I mean, I, for another time. I've, I've, I've heard just slide rumors that, I, you know, obviously, maybe this might be something we talk about in the future. But I'm just even the guy who made... The concoction for the oh, death yeah. penalty mm-hmm. was like, I regret making this. Yeah. Like, this and then, is- yeah. And then another sidebar about the lethal injection is that, like, it's unethical for doctors to administer lethal injections. So doctors ah. aren't the one, the doctors aren't the ones to administer it. So we can do a whole episode on lethal injection. That's actually a good idea. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, anywho, anywho, where are we? We are at March 31st, 1984. And shortly after midnight, on March 31st, 1984, O'Brien was executed by lethal injection at the Huntsville facility. Oh. A crowd of over 300 demonstrators gathered outside the prison and chanted trick-or-treat while showering anti-death penalty demonstrators with candy. What a sight to behold. I can only imagine. Yeah. So Ronald O'Brien, like again, he maintained his innocence and he never admitted to the crime. Um, after a last meal of a well-done steak and a Boston cream pie, and you know they're a little crazy if they like their steak well done, um, 
But he gave his final words and declared the death penalty to be wrong. And in his final statement, he stated, I forgive all. Like, good for you, bro. Good for you. I'm glad you forgive all. Okay, cool. I forgive all. And I do mean all. Those who have been involved in my death, God bless you all. And may God's best blessings be always yours. Mm. Like, whatever. You, you forgive them, really? Really, bro? You forgive them. And you don't even, you can't even admit to your own. I, I don't know. Just I like how Timothy never it. comes back up for him. He's just like, to me, Timothy, who? Right. Exactly. I think that's a good point. Like, he isn't, he isn't like, I miss my son. It's never about the son. It's a narcissist. But mm. he was officially pronounced dead at 1248 a.m. He donated his eyes for research. And uh, cataract uh, transplants, which oh. I find interesting. Imagine just having a murderer's eyes. But I hope, I hope, I don't know, I don't know. I hope that the <laughs> person who got it was able it to helped. see good and help. Uh, I, at least he did that. You know, at least at the bare minimum, at least he donated it, uh, donated his eyes. But uh, so... Like I said, the whole case really shook up the community in the days after Timothy's death. The um, police, it's quoted in like an article, but it says that they measured the fear in piles of candy because just candy just came in just waves constantly being and just checked. constant, constant candy just for them to search the candy to make sure nothing was poisoned. Um, but the police put out a word that if anything looked strange to bring it to them, and they did. They ended up with a whole room full of candy. People didn't go trick-or-treating around the Houston area for years after that. Because I since bet. he never since he never like admitted to it, people are probably, probably still like, else. Mm. they're like, mm, but was it him? Was it him? So wow. it changed Halloween forever um, in the Houston area, United States, even globally from Germany to London. And obviously it still affects Though, I mean, today, like, it's like a folklore now, but it even affected... I mean, kids don't even really go trick-or-treating. I think now it's uh, parents are... So, I mean, obviously, we hear this folklore all mm-hmm. the time. I mean, I heard it growing up, but, like, it would never be instances. It would just be, like, I heard that yeah. so-and-so... Like, I know someone who knows someone who knows somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And so the fact... Heard it from a friend who... Oh yeah. Okay. So it's just insane (laughs) that it happened in the Houston area, you know. But yeah, and then even to this day, like we kind of talk about that, but it still affects those people that were on like the front line of this whole entire case. Yeah. Like, and so, um, assistant district attorney, a guy named Mike Hinton, he stated that this case just like really took a toll on him, and he said that, um. When after, I think, either the sentencing or the death, I can't remember, but he returned to his childhood home in Amarillo, Texas, and he took a boat on the lake and he lifted a Miller beer in silent celebration. When I think, again, I don't know if it's the sentencing or the death, but as he just like floated like in the, um, like in like the lake. Yeah, Yeah, so kind of, but that affected him. That's a little boy. And then there was a news reporter for the Houston television station. Um, His name was Tom Campbell, and he was assigned to cover the whole O'Brien trial. And today as an anchorman, so he doesn't work for Houston anymore, but he, I don't know, this was like, this was written in 2016, so I don't know where he's at currently. He must be really old, (laughs) but um as an anchorman for a television television station in Augusta, Georgia, um, he's he hasn't uh, 
he hasn't outran the memories either, you know, like he covered the trial. So um, it's to this day, he doesn't observe Halloween Um, every year. He said that as daylight fades on the final day of October, he keeps the porch light at his home off and refuses to answer the door. Yeah. So those are just a couple instances of how just, I I think when it comes to a, it comes to a child and such like a hateful crime for literally no reason, for no reason, no one, no one wins. No one does. You know, and it's it, not like out of anger or rage. It was out of just greed and your own issues where you messed up as a parent, as a human, financially. We all make mistakes and everything. But like, go go to, go to on Squid Game. <laughs> go on that instead. Don't kill your eight-year-old kid. And then attempt to try to kill your daughter as well. And then on top of that, neighbor kids too. Oh, yeah. There's and, other ways. And, yeah. Like, join a help group figure out your finances or how about get a job and not yeah. steal from the job so you have a steady income coming in it's just so but that's just people. my opinion i could be totally wrong no i don't no. know i don't think you're wrong no. i think he's selfish and he definitely put a damper on a holiday and it's people like mm-hmm. that it really sucks because it affects so yeah. much more because halloween's my favorite holiday I know. <laughs> And and then again, like kids don't even go to their neighbors. They, they still, go to like these I little. Think they still go. I don't know if it's as popular anymore. But it's I mean, not. I don't. I don't. I don't really have anything to compare to, if I'm being honest. Because again, I never went trick or treating. I think it's probably different in different areas. It's cars. Like they go to like mm. a parking lot and parents. Oh, like trunk or treating. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's how yeah, it's kind of. That. Yeah, but it's regardless, more than like that, you should yeah. be able to trust thy neighbor. Right. Exactly. You should be able to trust thy neighbor. And sometimes, but I guess you can't even trust your dad. So. Ow. Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. Gosh. Uh, So for those that are still listening, uh, I'm so glad you're still here. Please stay safe this Halloween. (laughs) Yes, please stay safe. I'll be thinking of you guys when I'm in Bangor, Maine. I can't wait to hear about it. I'd be like, was it spooky? Because last year you went to Salem. Yeah, this on year. Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Now I'll be, I'll be in Bangor, Maine, getting my it on. I bought a cute little yellow raincoat. I'm oh gonna be Georgie God. for Halloween. That's cool. So I'm stoked. Watch there be other Georgies there. Probably, <laughs> I, I would, I would bet money that there's gonna be other Georgies. I told our friend Kalina, I was like, you need to get a yellow raincoat so we can both. Be <laughs> but I'm gonna get a We're red balloon. Both Georgie. I need to figure and out how to make a paper boat. But I was gonna say we'll make see. a boat. Uh, well, let's wish everybody, I guess, a happy Halloween. Happy and Halloween! If you're blue and you don't know where to go, I don't know you... why that song comes into my. My mom had like a dancing skeleton that would sing "Putting on the Ritz," so I always assume <laughs> I always associate that song with Halloween. <laughs> Um, if you like this episode, make sure to check out our Instagram at Hellbound History. Please leave us a review uh, on rate, Apple. Subscribe. Yeah, rate, subscribe, message us if you want to talk, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Boo.